3: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The question on every investor's mind, are we nearing the end of the sell-off? Several big names bouncing today, So we're debating the state of your money with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vingello is the CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors. Josh Brown, John Adjaron, Kevin O'Leary is the chairman of O'Shares ETFs, along with us today, too. Good to see everybody. Take you to the wall. Stocks, I said, they're bouncing. Dow's good for better than 400. NASDAQ off the best levels of the day. Nonetheless, given what's happened lately, I guess we'll take the 68 points to the upside. Kevin O'Leary, big question. Are we nearing the end of the sell-off? can you trust what we're witnessing today with this bounce?
4: Yes, you can. I think we're in a classic garden variety correction, healthy. You know, people forget volatility. It's back. And as a result, we're going to have days like we've had in the last week or two. Obviously, tech sector really took it on the chin. But the thing that really matters is earnings and growth. And so, you know, I look at the earnings numbers and they're just blowing them out of the water. We're having a spectacular comeback here. The economy's on fire. I think we're getting growth in the back end of this year like we haven't seen since the 50s. And so, you know, I have to look at this as a buying opportunity, particularly in tech, where I look at the quarter over quarter growth in some of these names like Zoom that got slaughtered and say to myself, wait a second, nothing's changed. They're still growing like crazy. And all of those companies that, you know, people said, oh, the PE is too high. Their growth hasn't slowed. The earnings are terrific. I think this is just a buying opportunity, and I think we're going to keep moving forward. What kills a market is real inflation, which we haven't seen yet, and slowing of earnings, which we definitely are not seeing. So I'm still full steam ahead. Equities rule, fixed income, nowhere to go. I think we're going to have a spectacular back end of this year. All right, so
3: you gave me a lot to work with there, and I want to be clear here. You bought Zoom and DocuSign and Tencent and some of these other stocks that have gotten obliterated – Lately, nobody is questioning the lack of growth. It's the question, Kevin, of too much growth and the fact that inflation is picking up. That's undeniable. Look at all of the figures and the facts and what's happening in some commodities markets. Inflation is undoubtedly picking up. Isn't that a
4: problem? Well, this kind of reminds me, particularly on those names like a Zoom, The the comments I used to get in the days of Amazon, when it would correct 38%, it did it every 18 months, and people say, oh, it's over, no more growth, yada, 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 yada. When there's a secular trend occurring, like what's going on as we speak to each other right now on Zoom, and all these technologies that empower digitization, direct to consumer, which is growing margins and growing a brand new Digital America 2.0 that hasn't changed. We're in the third inning of that. So if you you've got to be able to stomach a little volatility. We haven't had much lately. This is classic volatility. But I, I really go back to just looking at the quarter over quarter growth. Pick any growth stock. You know, I've given you three that I've doubled down on recently. But basically, nothing's changed. And so at the end of the day, if the market wants to value it differently by 40 percent and goes on sale, okay, I'll buy a little bit more. But tell me when the world stops growing. That's not the case right now. Okay.
3: so Josh Brown, I want to know from you whether you think that we can trust what we're seeing in the market today. But I want you to listen to what J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic told us yesterday, a, a man who many people listen to has been known to move the market in the past. Here's what he told us about the sell off. And then we can react on the other side. Here's Marco.
5: I think we're probably at the at the end of this upset again you know if you look at look at the Russell 2000 look at look at the Nasdaq you know they're now trading sort of below January levels you know and and just just think where we were in January we we didn't know about earnings we didn't know about COVID you know and and you know why were nobody screaming back in January then like uh, so so I think it's I think we're at the end of this upset I think market is gonna go higher here Uh, that said we do still again prefer sort of reflationary teams
3: okay TRB. O'Leary's buying some of these hardest hit stocks. Galanovic says it's overdone. We're probably at the end. Are they right?
1: Well, I, I would just say that the, if if we think about this as there being two different markets, I would say that uh, the punishment in the expensive slash negative earnings group is not over yet. But what Marco is saying might be right for uh, the areas of the market that have already been working. So I think like if you if you think about I've been calling this environment Grandpa's Revenge, all of the stuff that the youths were involved with and posting things on Twitter like stay poor or uh, kill yourself if you don't own uh, Airbnb or whatever like that's the stuff where I don't think the selling's over um, and I think it's long overdue. And it's not because somebody should be punished for being bullish or anything like that, because um, I own a couple of these names that are, that are in that cohort. Uh, I just feel as though the shareholder base for things like SPACs trading at premiums um, and, and all of these other type of high multiple names, the shareholder base is not a seasoned shareholder base. This is their first rodeo, literally. And there's nothing wrong with that. My first rodeo was getting demolished in the dot-com uh, bubble 21 years ago but I don't think uh, that there's been as much punishment there as there could be. Um, So I'm looking at some of the worst stuff. Like, let's take SPCE. This is the space ETF. Mm -hmm. It's 75% off its high. Everything you think about the holdings in that ETF could be true. All of your wildest dreams and all the things that you're imagining about Mars and colonizing the galaxy, all of those things could be real, and this 75% sell-off could still make sense and be justified. And that is the difference between the stock market and the real economy. So I think when you look at Arc opened up 1.5%, now it's down 1.5%. Tesla opened up 2%, now it's down 2%. You cannot trust these opening bounces when you're in a downtrend. So I would put those stocks in one category. Now look at the banks. They got back everything they lost yesterday. Mm-hmm. That's grandpa's mm-hmm. revenge. Mm-hmm. Grandpa doesn't, he's not fired up about space, but XLI gained back everything it lost yesterday materials, everything, transports. Look at the IYT. So that's what's happening in this market. And I think that this trend can persist for a while. Well, uh, and so that's the way I would want to think about it. Let me ask you this, okay? Because if you look beneath the surface, right, there are a lot of stocks
3: below their 200 day moving averages. If you look at areas of the market, Josh, where you have pointed out areas of strength to you know sort of hang your hat on in the past, are weak as well. Beyond the kinds of stocks you're talking about, I'm looking at the. I IT, hang on, hang on a sec. I'm looking at the ITB, the 8, XHB, right? The home builders down seven, eight percent declines this week. Yeah. The stocks within those are getting obliterated. Right. An area of strength that you've said, hey, look at what's happening. You were talking real economy here, right? Housing and the boom that we've seen. Look at what's happening in this area. Mm. These stocks are performing so incredibly well. Now they're falling
1: apart a little bit, at least this week. Is that a worrying sign? Well, they're all still technically in uptrends, but these are stocks that have gone up 100 percent. So having them in an 8 percent drawdown from from their recent peak to me, I wouldn't consider that to be obliterated. Obliterated is DraftKings, okay? Um, Obliterated is is ARKK. I would not consider uh, the home builders quite obliterated, but it's been a tough week because these stocks are extremely sensitive to sudden and severe changes in interest rates or interest rate expectations, let's call it. So that move makes sense to me, even as somebody that's still bullish on the housing trend, and I will be for probably the foreseeable future, but for every XHB you throw at me, Judge, Um, I'll throw right back at you. Look at the bounces in Walmart, Target, Costco. Unbelievable bounces today, and those bounces seem to be sticking. So I I think we can always find areas of strength or weakness at the margin. But big picture, I would be all in on days like yesterday where the selling gets indiscriminate. I would be all in on the strong economy names, specifically be looking for experiential stocks, companies where companies where. They have pricing power, and they benefit from people getting vaccinated. I think that is an, endure, uh, an enduring theme for 21. So, so Doc, one person does not a trend make, but I've
3: got Kalonovic telling me that this is overdone, that the bulk of the selling is over. I've got Kevin O'Leary buying some of the hardest hit stocks. Josh Brown telling you where to look for opportunity. And oh, by the way, I spoke with a really big fund manager last night who has taken up his exposure dramatically at the end of the day yesterday. Now, underscores the fact that it's a trading market and that could change depending on a few different factors and that maybe the landscape looks pretty darn good for stocks between now and the – and the summer period of August, at least when you get Jackson Hole and then you get Fed commentary and then all bets are off because nobody knows really what's going to be the situation then. But but that's what four four voices now and a prominent one whose name I can't reveal who are buying and buying handsomely. Yeah.
2: Well, and uh, uh, Scott, knock on wood, um, I'll join that chorus um, as, as we talk about all the time, volatility and volume, we got both signals on this move. So volatility a week ago, Friday, uh, we were at 1650 ish for the VIX, right? We hit 29 on this move. That's a 73 percent jump in volatility. Now, when volatility is cheap, just as I said last week, what I like to do is I get out of my stocks and I get into call options primarily and as the volatility made that big spike, I get out of those calls, buy stocks, and then sell fat premiums into it. I know Mr. O'Leary loves uh, money, and that's one of the great ways to generate cash flow. So, I did exactly what. What are the Josh taxes like and on Kevin that, Kevin? And well, it depends. I'm trading in tax deferred, Josh, um, so I, okay. I don't worry about that. But what would the taxes be? You'd be uh, short-term capital gains. Um, And so, uh, but the premiums and the swing, when you go from a 16 VIX up to a 29, you're talking about a doubling in the premium. It'd be like, you know, uh, a Super Bowl week and you have a condo right next to the stadium. Obviously, you're getting huge premiums then. You want to rent that thing out. That's what I did when the vol popped that 73%. Now, it's pulled back to half of that move today alone, guys. Um, So dead cat bounce, maybe for some of those stocks. You talked about a couple, Scott, like Tesla and uh, a couple others that had gone positive and then kind of rolled back over. But as far as Apple just keeping chugging along and a lot of these others, I think the rest of Q2 is going to be more or less like this. We're going to see... Little pullbacks like that that are kind of scary, a three-day pullback of 1,100 points in the Dow, yeah, that's scary. But when that volume and volatility tell you that the panic has hit, that's when I like to buy. Like Buffett says, be greedy when they're fearful. I hear you. That's what we did yesterday. I
3: hear you, Brenda, but, you know, things can change rather quickly. You know, my source focusing on the the bond auction today at at 1 o'clock. And again, you know, trying to get a handle on whether this becomes a more investable market for the next few months or it simply remains a more volatile trading environment where you're in and out of positions based on where you think rates may be going in the near term versus the longer period of time. So I've given you, you know, some some prominent voices um, and you've heard from the committee here too. what's your sense on where we are, where we're going from here.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think if we look at where else are you going to invest in this market, the equity market is really one of the only places to be outside of real assets if you believe that inflation is going to continue to rise. And so I think even though we're likely to see more volatility, which I absolutely think we'll see over the coming months, especially as this um, inflation debate rages on here, we're really not going to have any true resolution about whether things are transitory or not for quite some time. So I think we could see a lot of volatility in that time frame. But I think we use you know I think it's wise to use dips to either establish positions or add positions during that period of time because we just don't see a lot of other alternatives uh, in places where assets can go. Um, now I say that and then we look at something like the tech group uh, where I think that you know things have changed over the last year. They're, they're growing like crazy so that piece hasn't changed. But what has changed is that now. We're seeing this environment where a lot of economically sensitive groups are going to be able to grow pretty significantly for the first time in a decade. Um, So that does change the dynamics. Um, And especially if we look at something like the second quarter, which we're in right now, where well, there's a very tough year over year growth comparison for the technology group. And that isn't the case for a lot of other sectors. There's a big question of will growth start to decelerate within that group. And I think that is has weighed on multiples It could continue to weigh on multiples here in this environment. Um, we don't think that you abandon that group uh, for that reason because I still think there's a reason to hold on. It's a, a safety group if you will where if growth doesn't play out the way we all expect We think that, you know, people will rotate back into that group and names like Apple, the Microsofts, the world with tons of cash on their balance sheet. Um, So, you know, that that's our view kind of in a nutshell there.
3: Okay. let's bring in Brian Belsky now. BMO's chief investment strategist joins us once again. Mr. Belsky, it's good to see you. Mr. Wapner, how are you? I'm good, thanks. We have a rather uncertain market and I look here and I see Belsky's all bulled up. You're all pulled up. <laughs> you raise your S&P target to 4,500 from
0: 42 for the end of the year. You know, we, we did, Scott, and we did that on a, on a down day. That's, that's kind of how we roll, quote unquote. We're not going to chase the market like uh, many of our competitors. You know, we've been doing this for a long time, and it's my 23rd official forecast as the lead strategist on a piece of paper. And, you know, the market, you've done a wonderful job, by the way, this week, talking about the ebbs and flows, I think you talked about, and the fits and starts of the market. This has been a fits-and-start, momentum, on-and-off type of market. I don't think anybody knows how to buy and hold stocks anymore. I think we're in a big, giant, secular bull market that started in 2009-2010. And I think it's going to go on for a while. But the, the makeup of this bull market, Scott, is much different than the last 10 years. This is a stock-driven, theme-driven market. And it's never more omnipresent than this year. I think it's incredibly wrong and actually difficult to be painting technology with one broad brush. you got the, you got the Kathy. Stocks, and then you've got Apple. It's very, very different. And so I think you want to use days like today to buy. I think everybody on the committee is right today in bits and pieces. Josh Brown did an excellent job talking about how uh, you really, really want to be a longer-term investor and think about what you want to pay for things. Mr. O'Leary, my friend from Canada, as he knows, I also cover Canada. I think Canada's coming along for the ride on this with respect to North American stocks. So in Brenda talking about Tina, there is no alternative. I just think that, that equities in general, and especially U.S. equities, are the best asset in the world. Now it's a matter of what you're paying for. We don't want to pay for the high-flying tech. We don't want to pay for consumer staples, consistent cash flow, steady tech. And that's why we're market weight this year, but over the next three to five years, tech, uh, technology, communication services, and discretionary, by far our favorite names.
3: Okay, so you mentioned this sort of, you know, you've got these tail of two markets Within tech, right? There's the Kathy Wood stocks, the Ark stocks, and then there's Apple. Well, what do you make of the fact that Apple can't get out of its own way, right? It's getting a little bit of a bounce today, but the stock has been stuck where it is, or if or declining. So,
0: what's the message there? The message there is that it's correct to be MarketWay tech, and you want to have a core position in Apple, Scott, and you want to have a core position in names like Microsoft, and in communication services, same thing with Google and Netflix, and in, in discretionary, uh, Amazon. And and I think what's happening in, in Apple is, is clearly the stock is growing into itself, which is not too uncharacteristic of what has to happen in a lot of these tech stocks. I mean, quite frankly, some of these high-flying tech stocks are not going uh, to be around in five years, but Apple's going to be around in five years. And what's happened in some of these Kathy Wood stocks is reminiscent of what I went through as a strategist in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, and by the dip craze and some of these high flying stocks, it's just not going to work. But it is going to work in real companies with real assets and real cash flow and real balance sheets. And Apple, by the way, is one of the best dividend growth stocks in the but world. Hang on a second. So guess what? Hang on a second. Go Go Apple's
3: growing into itself. What does that mean? Right. It's a mature company. What does that mean?
0: Well, they're going to continue to come out with great products. Uh, They're going to continue to grow their dividend. Their cash flow continues to expand. This company is a cash flow machine, Scott. So with respect to the multiple, I think earnings are going to continue to go up, and the multiple is going to go down in Apple.
3: Hmm, That's interesting. Okay, Dr. J, is Belsky right to be as bullish as he is? 45. I'm looking at it right now. I had to do like a double take. But then I realized it was Belsky. Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 4,500. 4,500, Doc. Is he right? Or is he just way ahead of himself? Way over his Canadian skis.
2: Right over those Canadian skis, yeah. Uh, I think uh, Brian is smart to be putting out a number like that, Scott, because uh, the second half, like I say, I think the rest of this quarter, the second quarter, um, is going to be more or less like we've seen sideways up, down, the Dow keeps hitting new highs, the S&P pushes right up against them and pulls back, and the fangs have been sort of weaker uh, than the rest of the market. I think as we get through the second quarter, that's when Mr. Belsky really starts to catch uh, the wind at his back, because I think the second half of this year, they're going to start meeting the demand, which is out there and real. They'll start meeting it because more and more people will go back to work. Right now, it's a hard time getting people to go to work. That's why you heard from McDonald's today moving up to 11 to $17 an hour, uh, the band that they're going to be paying new starters um, over at McDonald's, um, depending on the state and so forth. So I think as more people are drawn back into the workforce, then the demand that we know is already there will be satisfied because we'll have supply to meet it. I believe the same will be true in... Crude oil and so forth, by the way, gasoline prices, according to that report yesterday, Scott, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. up 49% in the last year. That's without Colonial, 49%. Now, Colonial will pull back. Uh, that jump out of Colonial to the East Coast, where you are, Scott, will pull back, mitigate, as, this, uh, as the refined product gets to right, market. Right. But nonetheless, that inflation is real. Um, so the demand mm-hmm. is there, evidenced everywhere. I think Brian's going to be right. Belsky,
3: how about that? Right. Um, these concerns about in- inflation in the market. Are you just completely dismissive of them? Because in some respects, I mean, you know, you got forty five hundred. So you don't think inflation is going to be a problem. You don't think the Fed's going to talk taper or anything like that anytime soon. You, you must not if you think forty five hundred is the number.
0: Well, if you go back and look at our sectors, uh, we're overweight financials, industrials, consumer discretionary, and materials. Uh, Those sectors have worked aside from consumer discretionary with Amazon kind of underperforming. But the three sectors that really eat, reek of inflation and a higher yield curve and higher rates are the ones that were overweight. I think financials, financials, financials for the next 12 to 18 months, I think, still think my institutional clients around the world are underweight financials in the U.S. And I think that's going to be the big play, Scott. But I'm not going to doubt the Fed. I mean, the Fed saying transitory. I'm going to believe it. We've had a 39-year secular bull market in bonds, Scott. Uh, I've been in the business 31. And all the money's there. We have a lot of money to unwind still from bond positions into equity positions i'm not saying the fed's not going to taper at some point but people forget what happened in august it was monumental the fed changed its focus away from inflation into employment to get sub four percent employment we need massive wage inflation and massive job growth this is not going to happen overnight we're several quarters if not several years away from that so we continue to believe that the Fed's gas is going to be on the pedal, uh, uh, weight on the pedal, and, and monetary policy and fiscal policy is going to be driving things. But more than anything, Scott, just because you have a bag of money doesn't mean you buy everything. You buy the best assets. And I can't go back to it more than I can. American, U.S. stocks are the best stocks in the world, and that's why they're going up, and that's why they're leading. All right, Kevin O'Leary, um,
3: your Canadian compadres seems to be making a lot of sense to me, right? Um, is he the voice of reason in a room of worry, concern? And, oh, my God, you know, inflation's going to go crazy and the stock market's going to fall out of bed. Is this the voice of
4: reason that we need to hear? It is. And I'll tell you why. Inflation, go back in history and look. When inflation comes back and it definitely is coming back in wage inflation, I'm living that nightmare right now, just trying to hire people in the private companies I own, it is really brutal. I'm fight. you know who I'm fighting the government? They're paying, people. Anyway, I don't wanna get into policy, but I'm really unhappy that people are already employed or getting checks from the government and I have to compete against them, it's crazy. However, inflation drives performance of corporations that have pricing power in inflation. And the canary in the coal mine you have to watch for is the 10 year. If we had hyperinflation concerns, it wouldn't be a one six handle on the 10 year. It would get blown apart, you'd get killed there. And we're not getting that. so. Not, well, yet. We have, you know, not yet. Not well, yet. I get it. But you, you get a lot of different indicators you have to work with. I'm like everybody else on the panel. I've to put money to work. What is the best asset class? I can either buy another watch or I can buy stocks right now. I think stocks can outperform my watch collection. So I'm going into equity knowing you
3: not, no, knowing you like I do. You're probably buying both.
4: That <laughs> <laughs> is true. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think equities in, in, in the beginning of an inflationary cycle are really a good place to park yourself. Because you know you're going to get slaughtered on fixed income. Right. And bond prices, even triple B credits, are way overpriced. You're not going to get slaughtered
1: on fixed income. You're not going to get slaughtered on fixed income. I think you are. Based I think on what? you get
4: killed. That's what makes a
1: market. Why am I buying
4: a five year paper for two, four, Josh? Are you kidding? If, if there is any inkling of See, inflation, you're going to get slaughtered there.
1: Well, OK, triple, triple B paper, I don't, I don't think that that's the bond market. The bond market, the Barclays AG, uh, I don't think you get slaughtered for with with run in the mill inflation, hyperinflation. I am sure, I am a like, fixed income guy. I tell you what fixed is? income
4: is. It's everything from factoring to corporates. It's also the government bond ladder if you want that, but also press and converts. Those are markets that have been stellar for a very long hey, time that have never faced inflation in decades. Hey, hey Josh, what a, what, a, what, a, what happens? I want
3: Josh to opine on Belsky's view here. This 4,500 target, raising it up, and, and all the things that he just just told us. Belsky, you're still with us, right? You're still with us. I'm here. Sorry, Here's I just I, I, I will.
1: I, hear. I, I I I will, but I have to I have to weigh in on that last comment. Investment grade bonds. You had interest rates rise. You had a secular uh, higher interest rate environment from 1941 uh, to 1981. We all agree. Average interest rates rose by like 1,200. Uh, points during that period of time. Uh, uh, just a huge cycle up in rates. Um, <clears throat> the, the bond market only fell during 12 of those years, and the worst annual return was negative 3%. So I, I don't want smaller, negative anything. Why uh, do I want rates negative normalize. returns? Why do I want negative returns? I'm not saying you'll get negative returns. I'm saying that's in a massive upcycle for rates where they go from almost zero up to 20%. The worst annual return out of 12 down years from 40 years was less than a 5% drop. If that's slaughtered to you, um, then I don't know what to tell you. That's Let me me do this,
3: guys. Let let me do this. Belsky, why don't you give me the last word here? I've got about a minute or so before I go to the White House. The president is going to update us on the Colonial Pipeline and getting it 100% back online. So why don't you finish this out, Brian, if you would, please.
0: Thank you. Uh, We have to remember that the stock market is a market of stocks. I think this is less about growth and value and cyclicals versus all that. Remember, when growth is scarce, growth outperforms. That's why it did in 2019 and 2020. We are seeing a broadening out of fundamentals, which is very positive. That's why you want to be more value oriented Remember, value cycles are longer. But if I was starting a portfolio from scratch today, I would 100% be an all-cap. Equal weight, small, mid, and large by big companies as your base, and by emerging companies in terms of themes as your go-go growth stocks. And I think that's what's going to outperform for the next five to ten years. Yeah, I always enjoy the conversation, Brian. Thanks for coming on. That's Brian Belsky
3: joining us today uh, on what is a nice bounce back for the market. Let's show you the major averages again as we wait for the president at the White House. going to be speaking in the Roosevelt Room, updating the situation on the Colonial Pipeline. You've got the Dow Jones Industrial Average, good for 450 points for one and a third percent. That's a nice bounce back there. NASDAQ's been teetering a bit. It was off the best levels of the day. It's still good, though, for better than 100 points, at least right now. That's three quarters of 1%. And obviously, there's a lot of attention being paid all the way on the right-hand side of your screen, the 10-year note yield is at 165. So a pretty decent bounce back. Apple has really been a point of concern in the market of late. Had been going sideways, then it was going lower. If we can show you shares of Apple II, that's a nice bounce back. There's been some notes out on it today. There's been some notes, by the way, defending some of the other big mega cap tech stocks like Microsoft, some resumption of, of coverage from some various firms that have uh, taken a pretty good look at Microsoft and they continue to to like that as well. But as I mentioned to you, a lot of damage underneath the surface right now, which I'll talk to you in a second. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Let's go to the White House and the President.
7: Update everyone on the ransomware cyber attack that impacted on the Colonial pipeline over this past week. As of yesterday evening, Colonial has begun restarting the flow of refined products in their pipeline. This morning, Colonial reported that fuel is beginning to flow to a majority of the markets that they service, and they should be reaching full operational capacity as we speak, as I speak to you right now. That is good news. But I want to be clear. We'll not feel the effects uh, at the pump immediately. This is not like flicking on a light switch. This pipeline is 5,500 miles long. It had never been fully shut down its entire history. And so, uh, so fully and we have to now they have to safely and fully return to normal operations. Uh, and it's going to take some time. And there may be some hip, hip, hiccups like I just had along the way here. <laughs> Still, we expect to see a region by region return to normalcy beginning this weekend and continuing into next week. In the meantime, I want to update you on what our administration is doing to accelerate this process, to mitigate shortages, and to protect you from price gouging, protect the American people from price gouging, all those along the line. First, we relaxed rules for pipeline operators to provide flexibility for emergency personnel to help manually get portions of the pipeline up and running earlier this week. Secondly, over the weekend, we reviewed and worked with the company to get a portion of the pipeline system from North Carolina to Maryland to operate under manual control and ex- ex- deliver its existing inventory. In addition, we put in place emergency orders that lifts hours, the hours restrictions and allowed states to lift weight restrictions for tank truck drivers to be on the road. This allows those drivers to work more and carry more fuel to the affected regions. Third, the Environmental Protection Agency issued a targeted 20-day waiver of standards in several states to give fuel suppliers more flexibility to use available fuels where they're needed, which will boost the fuel supply. And those, uh, those last two actions have made tens of millions of gallons of additional fuel available each day to be able to be distributed. Put another way, the extraordinary measures the administration has taken, we estimate, sent enough gas to stations to fill the tanks of over 5 million vehicles in the last few days. Fourthly, as part of an effort to use every possible means to accelerate fuel deliveries, last night I granted a waiver of the Jones Act to uh, fuel suppliers. This allows non-U.S. flagged vessels to transport refined fuel products from the Gulf of Mexico to affected areas, and we'll grant additional waivers if necessary. These steps are temporary, but they will remain in place until full service is fully restored. This is a a whole-of-government response to get more fuel more quickly to where it's needed and to limit the pain being felt by American customers. Here's what drives the driver uh, in the states that are affected. Here's what you can do, the drivers. Don't panic, number one. I know seeing lines at the pumps or gas stations with no gas can be extremely stressful, but this is a temporary situation. Do not get more gas than you need in the next few days. As I said, we expect the situation to begin to improve by the weekend and into early next week, and gasoline supply is coming back online, and panic buying will only slow the process. And I also want to say something to the gas stations. Do not, I repeat, do not try to take advantage of consumers during this time. I'm going to work with governors in the affected states to put a stop to price gouging wherever it arises, and I'm asking our federal agencies to stand ready to provide assistance the state-level efforts to monitor and address any price gouging at the pump. Nobody should be using this situation for financial gain. That's what the hackers are trying to do. That's what they're about, not us. That's not who we are. And as for the people who carried out this attack, the FBI has released details on the attack so others can take steps to prevent from being victimized like Colonial has been. We do not believe — I emphasize, we do not believe the Russian government was involved in this attack, but we do have strong reason to believe that the criminals who did the attack are living in Russia. That's where it came from. We're from Russia. We have been in direct communications with Moscow about the imperative for responsible countries to take decisive action against these ransomware networks. We're also going to pursue a measure to disrupt their ability to operate. And our Justice Department has launched a new task force dedicated to prosecuting ransomware hackers to the full extent of the law. And finally, let me say that this event is providing an urgent reminder of why we need to harden our infrastructure and make it more resilient against all threats, natural and man made. My administration is continuing. Uh, to safeguard our critical infrastructure, the majority of which is privately owned and managed, like Colonial Pipeline. Private entities are in charge of their own cybersecurity. And we need — and we have to — we know. We know what they need. They need greater private sector investment in cybersecurity. And that's why we launched a new public-private initiative in April that is focusing on strengthening cybersecurity in the electric sector for natural gas, for pipelines, as well as water systems and other lifeline sectors. And last night, I signed an executive order to improve the nation's cybersecurity. It calls for federal agencies to work more closely with the private sector to share information, strengthen cybersecurity practices, and deploy technologies that increase reliance against cyber attacks. It outlines innovative ways the government will drive to deliver security and software, using federal buying power to jumpstart the market and improve the products that all Americans use. To assist in this urgent work of protecting our, nation's, our nation against cyber attacks, I'm calling on the United States Senate to move quickly to confirm Chris Inglis as our National Cyber Director, and Jen Easterly to be the Director of Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at the Department of Homeland Security. In America, we've seen critical in- in- infrastructure taken offline by floods, fires, storms, and criminal hackers. In Texas last month, we saw what happens when storms hit power systems that aren't fully modernized or ready to- for the threats of extreme weather with tragic results. Now we're seeing the effect of criminal hackers with gas lines throughout the southwest, or assuming the southeast. And we're in a competition With China and the rest of the world to win the 21st century economically. And we're not going to win it in competing with an infrastructure that is out of the 20th century. We need a modern infrastructure. My American Jobs Plan includes transformative investments in modernizing and securing our critical infrastructure. Later this afternoon, I'll be meeting with Republican senators to discuss ways we can move forward on modernizing the infrastructure we have today and building the infrastructure we need for tomorrow. I'm willing to negotiate, as I've indicated yesterday, to the House members and to the leadership. But it's clearer than ever that doing nothing is not an option. Again, we expect things to return to normal over the next several days. I will be monitoring Colonial's uh, progress and the federal government's support every step of the way. So stay strong. Help us on the way. We're going to get through this, as we always do as Americans, and we're going to do it together. And it's going to be quick. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops.
5: Mr.
8: President, 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 You said that the
6: hackers are believed to be living in Russia. At what point does the U.S. start to try to inflict pain on
8: governments who allow this sort of thing to happen in their territory?
7: We are working to try to get to the place where we have sort of an international standard, that governments knowing that criminal activities are happening from their territory, that we all, uh, we all move on those, uh, those criminal enterprises. And uh, that I s- expect that's one of the topics I'll be talking about with, uh, with President Putin. Are you Mr. confident President that,
5: Putin President that Putin was not President. involved? Are you confident that Putin was
0: not involved?
7: I am confident that I've read the report of the FBI accurately, and they say they were not. He was not. The government was not.
8: What would you like Mr. President, Wednesday's executive
2: order mentions the colonial pipeline directly, but the press release says it only encourages private sector companies to follow the federal government's lead, which encouragement is good, but in the face of profit, It's kind of sketchy. So what concrete steps is the administration taking to ensure that companies are prepared and held accountable for uh, their
3: cyber issues, cybersecurity issues?
7: You've asked three different questions in that one thing, I think, (laughs) as I understand it. The bottom line is that I cannot dictate that the private companies do certain things relative to cybersecurity. Uh, A lot of you are very seasoned reporters you've been covering this debate up on the capitol hill for before i became president and unrelated to president trump just a debate internally among senators as to whether or not the government should be insisting and that gets into privacy issues and a whole range of things so that's going to be an ongoing negotiation but i think it's becoming clear to everyone that we have to do more than being done now, and the federal government can be significant value-added in having that happen. Yes.
2: Are you com- will will you consider doing any kind of retaliatory cyber attacks to shut down these criminals?
7: Are you ruling that out? No. Is Prime Minister Netanyahu doing enough to to stop this violence there from escalating? I uh, had a brief conversation with him yesterday, and. Uh, I have my uh, my intelligence community, the Defense Department, as well as the, the uh, State Department have been in contact with all of their counterparts in not only in Israel, but in the region. And uh, one of the things that uh, I have seen thus far is that uh, um, there has not been a significant overreaction. The question is how how we get to a point where they get to a point where there is a significant reduction in the attacks, particularly the rocket attacks uh, that are indiscriminately fired into population centers. Um, but uh, I expect. Uh, I'll be uh, having some more discussions. Uh, and it wasn't, we haven't just spoken with the Israelis, with the Egyptians, the Saudis, and others. So we're, it's, it's a work in progress right now. So thank you all so very much. Mr.
1: Chairman, would you take one more on the ransom? Were you
6: briefed on the fact that the company did pay the ransom?
7: I have no comment on that. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir.
3: Okay, that's the president uh, with an update on the Colonial Pipeline situation. Uh, President Biden saying the flow has restarted. Not going to happen overnight to get it at the full capacity, saying, quote, it's not like flicking on a light switch. Hope it happens soon in the next couple of days. White House uh, is also taking steps to mitigate the fuel shortages. You've seen those. Uh, lines of cars at the gas stations uh, certainly throughout the south and prices are elevated uh, really all along or in most parts of where that pipeline runs and importantly as well the president also saying uh, the White House does not believe the Russian government or President Putin are involved but that the perpetrators uh, the dark side members are living in Russia there was a report as well uh, unconfirmed by us at this point, that uh, Colonial had paid $5 million to the uh, hackers. You heard the president ask specifically about those reports, and as you heard there, he would not comment. Uh, president Biden would not. We'll be right back.
8: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high value customers Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at LinkedIn.com slash report. That is LinkedIn.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash report and get started.
3: Welcome back. The activist firm Value Act taking a new position in the owner of the 7-Eleven convenience store saying... It wants the Japanese parent company to consider a number of strategic moves, including breaking up that company. Just the latest move now in a recent flurry of activist activity. Ken Squire is the 13D Activist Fund founder, a CNBC contributor. It's good to see you. Been a while. Great to see you, Scott. You know, we just marked, astonishingly, eight years since the Icon Ackman brawl on this show, which I think was really peak activism now where are we you know you hear about it more now i suppose than you did in the past few years but what now
5: yeah the last five or six years have not been great for activism Uh, activism is a value strategy in in a growth world and uh, they just haven't been able to keep up that obviously is changing with the rotation from growth to value and from large cap to small and mid cap Um, what also is helping activism over the last year and a half It was hard to do activism in the middle of a pandemic from a compassion reason and just from a a social distancing, virtual uh, remote working reason. It's hard to do proxy fights, hard to do strategic activism. So there's a huge backlog of activism, which we're going to start seeing towards the end of this year. And finally, I think what's going to take activists the next five, 10 years and give them so much uh, 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 targets to go after are SPACs. There's over 900 new companies coming out there, many with horrible corporate governance, with founders, shares and insular boards. Um, these are companies whose stocks are trading well below their highs, many below their going public price and have founders that are still running them that might not be the best person to to run public companies. And, and this is bread and butter for the activists. This is this is, you know, a field day for that.
3: Oh, I didn't think about that. But that's a really great point. That's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, what's happened with the SPACs. You have your eye on Starboard, right? If I, if I say, okay, well, you know, there doesn't appear to be that many activist campaigns, Starboard would say, wait a minute, we've been as active as anybody, maybe even more so than anyone over the last few years.
5: Yeah, they, that, is, that is true. From, from a level of activism, number of campaigns, number of, of, of directors being put on board, Starboard has certainly been number one. Um, right now, as you might know, they're going, They're in the middle of a proxy fight with Box, um, which is an interesting situation. Um, the, the board of Box, in the midst of this proxy fight, just sold $500 million of convertible preferred stock to KKR with the uh, provision that KKR has to use their 11% to support the board um, in the proxy fight. Also, they can't sell their shares to an activist shareholder, however that's defined. Um, and what makes this even more interesting is that the company which has $600 million of cash on the balance sheet, it so doesn't need the 500 million, is using the 500 million to buy back shares. So they're essentially replacing shareholders that have free will and can vote however they want with one shareholder who has to support the board. I think this is going to backfire for, for them. And I think ISS and Vanguard and BlackRock are going to see through this and, and support support Starboard where they may not have if this didn't happen.
3: Yeah, uh, and I'm sure if Icon's watching you know, somewhere, he's saying, wait a minute, you know, I." I've been in the news, too. And and from following your your 13D monitor and your emails uh, every day, Carl icon has been as active as anybody as well. Worth noting. I've had that breaking news. I appreciate your time. I'll make it up to you next time. A little shorter today than normal. Ken Squire, thank you very much. We have Doc's unusual activity. We'll do it next. All right, Dr. J. Unusual. What do you got for us today?
2: Well, Scott, uh, Pulte. Uh, PHM, this one, along with Lennar, both hit today for unusual activity, and we both know why. Um, it's a combination of low interest rates and extreme demand for housing. Uh, Pulte, they're buying the 60 calls out in July, Scott. That's with the stock at right around $57 a share. I love the trade. I'm in this one. Probably be in there about two months, Scott. Second trade, take a look at Las Vegas Sands, 17500 of the June expiration on the 4th of June expiration. 57 calls this stock at 56 bucks. I bought those calls, Scott. I'll be in this trade probably two weeks.
3: Okay, good stuff. Doc, thank you. Another break, then final trades. All right, Disney reports after the bell. We'll do that before we do final trades. Brenda, 178. This stock has had a magical ride.
6: It has. And I think that, you know, all eyes are going to be on the subscriber number for Disney Plus, especially given Netflix's disappointment here. So wanting to see that subscribers are still coming to Disney Plus and are still engaged. I think that's going to be important. And also, obviously, the reopening of the parks and understanding how that's going. Um, So those two data points, I think, are the ones that are going to be probably the
2: most relevant here.
3: Doc, you got some options action in this thing. Um, You own Disney Calls, so you must be paying attention to it.
2: Yeah, uh, and I'm heavily writing upside calls against the calls that I own, Scott. The straddle, the combination of the call and put, trading at $7, that means they're expecting a relatively small 3.5% move up or down. Um, so that's why I'm heavily selling upside calls against it. I
3: mean, the, the stock has had a an, an obviously good run. However, I mean, it is in question over the last... You Big corrections mo- since Yeah, then. I mean, the most recent period... You know, as you think about how much is already in the name, right, Doc?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's down from 201 to 178 right now, Scott, Um, basically in the last two months. So uh, it's show me time for Disney.
3: Yeah. Well, you'll hear from the CEO, Bob Chapek. He'll be on Fast Money tonight, 530 Eastern. It's a first on CNBC interview. He's going to react to the numbers and uh, take questions from the gang as well. We'll look forward to that, see where Disney shares end up trading after the bell. Mr. Wonderful, the big buyer
4: today. What's your final trade for us? I'm going with Apple. Apple's only fault is that everybody owns it already. But I think it's going to show some amazing performance in services, which is really a very profitable business.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's really such an important stock to watch, maybe to really figure out whether the correction has run its course. If If you can get some traction, Kevin, in Apple at $125 finally, maybe that will be the best sign yet that the NASDAQ is going to stop going down and the overall market can get some pace to it as well.
4: It's correct. The trouble is I have a 5 percent waiting. I'm right at my limits like many other yeah. investors. That's the problem.
3: Yeah, I hear you. Uh, Brenda, final trade, please.
6: Um, Affirm Holdings, so this is a newly public company, just reported their second quarter where growth metrics beat expectations. Um, it's a pure play in the buy now, pay later space, which we think is only going to grow from here.
3: OK, thank you for that. The reformed broker, otherwise known as Josh Brown.
1: Hey, Judge, I'm going to go with Uber. This is a stock that Mm. just a few weeks ago was at 61. Now it's at 43. And the only thing that's changed fundamentally is that things have gotten better and brighter. We are going to see the rides business explode in the second half of this year. In the short term, there's a focus on some labor issues. I do not think that those will linger for very much longer, Okay. and this stock will work.
3: All right, good stuff. Doc, I need a quick name.
2: E-H, E-Hang, it's Autonomous Aerial Vehicles. E-H, bought it during the show.
3: Good to see everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
8: You seek the key.